Thank you, God, that you're the initiator. Would you just tell him that? Thank you, God, that you're the initiator. We don't, we don't find God. We don't, we don't find Jesus. It's better than that. God finds us. That's, that's amazing news. We don't find God, not really, not first. We don't initiate the finding process. We aren't Baal worshipers, we're Jesus worshipers. We're present to this amazing reality that God finds us. And his love is incredibly patient and kind and gentle and steadfast and committed to his creation. Who do we find? We find ourselves eventually. Hopefully. And when we do, we find the God who found us and loved us long before we could find and love ourselves. so much better that way. My daughter Lucy, she was a little bit afraid of something one night about three in the morning a few months ago. And any of you parents, you know what that's like. It's three in the morning, you know what I mean? So I wanted to go back to sleep and she was having a bit of anxiety about something that didn't seem all that important to me, but it was really important to her. So she told me what it was, and it wasn't like a huge deal, but I said that to her. I said, I said Lucy, you know, none of that stuff that you're scared of is really going to happen. Of which she looked back at me, because I was just trying to get her to go back to sleep so I could go back to sleep. So I said, you know, none of that stuff that you're really terrified about is really going to happen, Lucy. I mean, that's, that's almost impossible. She looked at me, you know. I wish I could tell you. I, I told her I'd never tell anybody what it was. So, but I could tell the story, she said. So, so I, said, I said, it's probably not going to happen. It's very improbable. She looked at me and she said, oh. So I said, well, let me just pray for you. And then... Why don't you just lay down and go back to sleep? And so she laid down and I prayed for her and I said, I love you, Lucy. Good night. I went back to my bed and I'm just about asleep. You know that, just about a sleep moment. Any of you that are parents, you're just about asleep. And all of a sudden I hear her call my name. Daddy, 
So I go in there again. I go down the hallway. I go into a room, and I do the whole same thing again. I, I tell her that she doesn't have to be afraid. I, I, I pray for her. I say, go back to sleep as quickly as possible. And uh, so I did the same thing again, second time. Same exact thing happens. She goes back to sleep. You know, well, doesn't go to sleep. She just closes her eyes and lays there and says she's going to go back to sleep. I go back into the bed. I'm just about asleep. And she calls my name again. Daddy. So I'm going down the hallway this time, and I'm like, this is not working. <laughs> now it's like 3.30 in the morning. So I walk in there. And I had some Walter Brueggemann stuff going on in my mind. I was just thinking, maybe that would work. You know, I don't know. It's just crazy. I was just reading this thing about presents. And so I just walk into the room. It just, just sort of, I don't know if that happens to you, but it just kind of hit me that I could, this thing came over me. So I just went in and I didn't say a word this time. I just, I just went to her bed. I laid down next to her and I put my arm out like this and she snuggled into me. And within 40 seconds, she was passed out, totally asleep. And now I was stuck. <laughs> right? <laughs> and I don't want to startle her and I don't want to wake her up. So I, I'm laying there and now God's got me. God's got me. And I'm laying there looking at the ceiling and I just, this voice comes to my imagination. My faith world is overwhelmed with this thought. Jason, words alone don't comfort you. Presence comforts you. Oh man, I just started crying. I'm laying there. Lucy is almost snoring. And I'm just taking it in. Words alone don't comfort us. Presence comforts us. And the goodness of Jesus is that he's the initiator. He's the one that walks with us. He shapes, he forms us. And he's committed to us the whole way, the whole process. There's no one more creative than God. He doesn't even create for human approval. He creates for human discovery. We were literally held long before we could ever hold on. We were loved before we even knew how to love. Jesus is present to places in you and I that we are not even yet present to in ourselves. Jesus is present to places in me that I'm not even aware of yet. Jesus is present to beauty in me that I'm not even aware of yet. God is more present to us than we are to ourselves. 
had the amazing opportunity to go on a, a yeah, I've, for years I've gone on on these four day Jesuit led silent retreats, and this one particular year I went and it was led by a Jesuit priest who happens to be blind by the name of Father Larry Gillick. And I only say that he happens to be blind because it seems, especially when I listen to him, but I've started to notice it with others, that there seems to be some things that only blind people can see. Like his ability to see things, it, he actually has insight and awareness like someone who wakes up every morning and never misses a sunrise. He has such an amazing awareness of, of creation around us, the way he speaks about it with such vision. It seems as if he, he, he goes to bed after every sunset. Like he never misses one. And his ability to hear too, I don't know if it's because he's blind, but his ability to hear is so tuned in as well. Maybe it's just, maybe it's because he's blind. Maybe it's because he's practiced silence all these years. He's in his 70s now and he's been, a, you have to be 17 years, you have to be trained to be a Jesuit priest. I mean, that's a long time. So maybe it's just because he's practiced silence for all these years, he's learned to listen to things that I might just not even be able to hear because I'm, I'm so noisy. I don't know. But I remember him one time saying, he said, he said, yeah, today I was, uh, I was giggling to myself while I listened to a goose singing. I like this guy. <laughs> he said, I, was, I was giggling to myself, listening to a goose singing. And he says this, and you know, a goose sings amazing if you're a goose. <laughs> so he said, I thought, who thinks like this? This is my kind of guy. A goose sounds amazing. Sings amazing if you're a goose, he said. It doesn't sound like a, like a robin. It doesn't sound like a robin, he said, but that's the beauty of it. Because beauty is distinguished by its peculiarity. We don't initiate... We're not the creators of our own lives. We're not the ones that start and finish our story. And that's the good news. It's so much better that way. What about your life that's peculiar? Beauty in your life is literally distinguished by it's peculiarity. I remember years ago, somebody said, man, that, you know, to the Lamb of God who knows me by my name, that'd be an amazing song if it wasn't for those verses. 
Like, my story is crazy, but it's true. It started out confusing, too, and just gets stranger by the day. Nobody's going to sing that in church, Upton. I said, I know. Why why are we so locked in to this false promise that if we're not peculiar, if there's nothing peculiar about my life, then I must be normal. If there's nothing strange about me, then I must be not strange, right? What makes us think that the peculiarity, the strangeness of our story isn't the absolute brilliance and genius of God working in our lives. Anyway, we were on this retreat with this blind Jesuit and first night, I'd never heard him before. First night, I'm sitting in the second row, got my notepad. He walks into the room, if you've never been on a Jesuit retreat, it, it takes, for, for those of us that are more evangelically bent, it takes a little bit of time to adjust to inductive preaching versus deductive preaching. Because inductive, they, they're not trying to tell you what you should think. They're just trying to get you in a place that you don't miss it all. So, so there he is, and he's, he starts speaking, and this is, this is what he says. He says, you know, some of you in this room, you think that God disapproves of you. He said, write this down in your journal. He said, God does not disapprove of me. Now, none of you wrote that down in your journal. (laughs) Because you probably, like me, already know that. God does not disapprove. So I wrote it down. God does not disapprove of me. Yeah, that's like my message. I tell people that all the time. But then he said this. He said, And some of you in this room, you think that God approves of you. Write this down. God does not approve of you either. And then he just let the tension be there. And he didn't try to fill it in. And he didn't answer it for us. Not quickly. Like a great artist, he just let us sit there with it. And I remember I wrote, God does not approve of me. Question mark. I'm just going to let that sit. (laughs) Because it's so much better than that, he said. 
You see, humanity, it's created this whole thing. Approval, disapproval. Approval, disapproval. I don't know, maybe in the charismatic world we'd say, anointed, unanointed. <laughs> he said, oh, you see, that's all, that's all the crazy roller coaster of humanity. But it's way better than that with Jesus. God loves you. God reverences you. Like a potter reverences the clay. Literally, he said, you know, and this is really good now because he's blind, right? So he says, I love to do pottery, he said. So he said, and when I'm doing pottery, I put it on the wheel and it starts spinning. And as it moves away from me, I actually reverence it. And I use its movement away from me to shape and form it. It's so much better that way. It's so much better that God is the one shaping and forming us. That God isn't like a press. God isn't a machine who could care less about the creation. God isn't just trying to stamp you into approved, right? Standardized, non-peculiar, non-strange shapes and forms. But God literally uses the walk with you and the journey with you and you're running away and you're running toward reverences and shapes you even in your running. When you think you're so in love, you couldn't be any more in love with him, he's shaping and forming you. When you think you don't even know where he is, he's shaping and forming you. When you think that you want to run away from his calling on your life, he's shaping and forming you. And this is the most amazing. You are on the wheel of God and you can never get off. You're on the wheel of God and you and I are becoming. We're a song, we're a poem being shaped and formed and crafted by God. We're not the initiator. We don't find God. We don't write. God finds us. God shapes us. God forms us. God's the creator. God's the initiator. Sometimes we, we'd rather have a machine, huh? When I was little, I, I was a good evangelical kid, so we would pray for, you probably don't even know some of you younger people who John Bon Jovi was. <laughs> we would pray for John Bon Jovi. Oh man, if John Bon Jovi could get saved, you know? And that's sometimes what we, like, and I remember praying, and look, God, show up at John Bon Jovi's house, I didn't even know I was praying for the end of the poor guy's career. You know what I mean? And if he got saved, it's like, God, save him. Which was sort of like, make him think like me. 
You know what I mean? <laughs> but that's what we love sometimes is what if God was like a machine? What if God just ripped open the sky every month or so? Lightning flashed. Everybody had everybody's attention, right? We all like stood to attention and behaved for like a day, right? I'm God. Shape it up down there, or whatever we think, right? It's just awesome, man. That's not how God does it. We're being shaped and formed by the hand of God. My daughter Lucy, she was working on her cursive writing one day, and I was at the coffee shop with her, and so she was working on the word love, and I was supposed to, you know, be helping her with it, so I was reading a little book and have some coffee, and she was working on love, and so she's working on it, and she's writing it, she wrote it, you know, 15, 16 times, I think, and then all of a sudden she says, hey, daddy, daddy, look, she said, I said, what? She said, love's got a hole in it. And I thought, the first thing I thought was, that'd be an amazing country song. <laughs> but then, the more I thought about it, I saw that O, and I kept looking at it and thinking about it for weeks and weeks, and the more I thought about it, the more I said, yeah. Love's got a circle in it. Love tells the whole story. Love, love shows us that Moses was a murderer and a deliverer. And it doesn't cut out the murderer part. Right? And love, 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 love shows us that, man, I mean, there's so many of them. Love, love is the powerful story that, that shows us that Jonah is a life of faith too. Even in the midst of its running, he runs right in to the destiny of his call. What, what about Matthew? He was a tax collector and an apostle. What's so amazing about the holiness of God is how whole it is. It doesn't cut certain parts of your life out. It uses the whole thing and the whole part of it. It's all part of your salvation story. And that even the weak parts or the peculiar parts of you, that's what strengthens others. If I was shaping my own life, it'd probably be incredibly non-helpful. Just give me a second to find my notes. One second. Let's see. Why don't you turn in your Bibles to Luke chapter 22. And I'm almost done. But I just... There's so many texts that we could pick from and share this, but this is, a, this is one that most of us know, and it, it's the beautiful 
shaping, reverencing journey of the making of Peter. And how creative Jesus is, God is, even within the beautiful Gospels, we see this unbelievably creative God. And just, I just want you to remember, just for a moment, Peter's journey, how creative this is, that, that Simon, remember, when Jesus found Simon, he wasn't catching any fish. Remember? It was like a bad fishing day for him, and then they brought the boats in, and Jesus was preaching to that big group of people. And the Bible says that the crowds were so big that Jesus needed a place to preach. And they were pressing in on him, so he asked Simon, can I use your boat? And it's, I mean, I'm kind of making this up, but it was pro- like, obviously, yeah, sure, you can use my boat, because I'm not doing any fishing today because we've been out there and we haven't caught anything. So Jesus uses Simon's boat and he goes out and he preaches to the crowd. And then as if to say, thank you to Simon, right? He just says, hey boys, why don't you cast your nets on the other side of the boat? And they cast a net on the other side of the boat and they bring in such a big haul, it's breaking the nets, remember? And Simon looks at Jesus and says, Lord, Lord, get away from me. And Jesus not only doesn't get away from Simon, he says, no, 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 no. Why don't you come be with me? Why don't you come spend time with me? And I'll I'll make you into fishers of men, remember? And this is how the journey starts. In the the journey of, of Simon slash Peter and Jesus is, it's hilarious because Simon's always, you know, Jesus is supposed to be the teacher, but Simon's always correcting Jesus and always saying to Jesus all the things he should be doing, and you're left there too early. And why would you get on a boat right after you fed 5,000 people, Jesus? You just left us there. Now you're on a boat across the other side. All the, you shouldn't be turning water into water. You should be doing this. You should be doing that. You should be, they're always Jesus is saying to him that things that are going to happen, and Peter's like, no, 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 Jesus, you don't get it. You don't need to be doing that. And Jesus is like, get behind me, Satan. You know know the whole story. It's just ongoing, constant. They're going back and forth. There's like these two worlds colliding. And in all of that, Simon is being shaped and formed. And then we have this passage Simon's telling Jesus, I'll never deny you. Jesus says, verse 31, and the Lord said, Simon, Simon, indeed, Satan has asked for you that he may sift you as wheat. But I have prayed for you that your faith will not fail. And when you have returned to me, 
you will strengthen your brothers. Now, when you read that passage, most of the editors of the Bible, you know, because there wouldn't have been like the little editorial notes at the top with, you know, highlighted and stuff. It, most of the time in bold, it'll say like, and Jesus predicts Peter's denial. Now, I, I like a lot of the editorial remarks in the Bible, but that's one that I just, I think it, yeah, it is kind of Jesus predicting Peter's denial. But it's way better than that. Jesus is predicting something way more outrageous and amazing than Peter's denial. Jesus is predicting his return. This is what he says. Let's just read it again just in case I'm missing something there. Simon, Simon, Satan has asked for you that he may sift you as wheat. This is amazingly good news if you hear this from Jesus. But I have prayed for you that your faith will not fail and when, and when you have returned to me, you will strengthen your brothers. There's nowhere in any translation that it says, and if you return to me. Jesus is predicting Peter's re return. Remember that day after the denial. Simon's out on that boat. He's just gone back to fishing. And can you even imagine what he may have felt like, you know? I kind of can, a little bit, a little bit. Sometimes when I really get my imagination going, I can get there. There needs to be like a movie, you know? Atlanta, don't you guys do movies? There needs to be like a movie to depict this. It's such an amazing, it's just so amazing. You know, there's only two places where there's a coal fire in the Bible. It's just, it's where Peter denied Jesus and where Jesus reinstates Peter. It's like Jesus set up the coal fire just to bring back that smell. It's like an old song, right? An old love song that makes your memories go back, right? It's like Jesus, it's like there's that coal fire on the beach. He sets it up. It's an amazing staged event. There they are. They're out fishing again. And, and yeah, I mean, it's like such good storytelling. They're not catching fish again. It's like they're right back to the beginning, it's like they've gone like this, and now they're all the way back to the beginning, and it's all part of the creating power and promise of God. And there he is, right back at the beginning where he first met Jesus and said, I'm going to follow you, and you're going to teach me how to be a fisher of men. And there he is on the boat, and he, he, the Bible says he can't even recognize Jesus' voice, which I think a lot of times can happen to a lot of us when we, we get shame on us and we get condemnation on us and we feel that feeling that we've denied something or we feel that feeling, right? And we can't even recognize Jesus' voice anymore, but it, it says in the Bible that John, Jesus, Jesus calls from the seashore 
and he says, hey boys, why don't you cast your nets on the other side? Which I think is so beautiful. Bringing them all the way back in the journey. Like, I have not forgotten you. I held you long before you could hold on. I loved you long before you knew how to love. Satan asked for you, Peter, but remember what I told you. This is what he's saying on that. This is what he's showing us. He didn't just tell Peter, he showed Peter, right? I'm not just telling you that I've prayed for you and you're going to return. I'm now showing you. I'm committed to you, to your whole journey. You can run away from me. You can deny me, but you're going to still become what I've created and called you. All these, you're becoming. And there he is. And this is the coolest thing. The Bible says that John says, that's Jesus, Peter. And Peter doesn't walk on the water. That's amazing to me. The Bible says that Peter jumped in the water and swam to shore. He was like, Soaking wet on the beachfront, there with Jesus. Is it just me, or is that desperation? Like, he doesn't, you know what I mean? <laughs> like, the beauty of that kind of desperation, that he jumps in the water to swim to shore, just to see Jesus again. And there, he's reinstated. Don't you wish you could, like, reenact it, like, for your own life? Maybe it's not denial, but maybe it's just, like, thinking that somehow in the circular journey of life, you just got lost out here at, like, 5 o'clock in the afternoon, <laughs> never found your way back home. <laughs> but that process of God's with us in the entire journey, what an incredibly creative, loving, amazing God, what an incredible work of salvation. I remember when I was a little boy, I used to write songs and annoy my brother. Or I used to, I remember I had a lawn mowing business and I'd preach to the grass. <laughs> and my family, man, they'd drive by, they'd hear me out there. What are you doing? You're like talking to things. I'd be like, yeah. Finally, I told my mom one time, I'm preaching to the grass. I would like preach these amazing sermons to the grass while I mowed the lawn. And I could preach. It's like nobody in front of you, you know what I mean? All those amazing moments in our life, they're all part, all of the failure. But it's not just when you fail or you deny. It's all those missteps. It's the learning. It's like, how do you, how do you train? You, you, I always say this. I was always a circular thinker. So in my early years, I got in lots of trouble just because I would get out here and I'd never make it back home. 
You know, I'd get lost out here giving a talk. You know what I mean? And somebody else, they're a linear thinker, and they just, they just have short lines or long lines. But they're all complete lines. But what about those of you that are more circular, and you're out here, and you just get lost? But you never have the time. See, God is committed to the whole story of your life. He's not a machine. This is what it is to be a singer. This is what it is to be a worshiper. This is what it is to be a, you know. I was recently out in Colorado, and a friend of mine named Zach Winters, he sang this song about being out under the thunder and wondering where God was. And before he did the song, he was like, yeah, this isn't really a worship song. And then he sang the song. I almost went up on the stage and just started swearing. What do you mean it's not a worship song? My heart has been broken wide open listening to this song. But we got all of our little, don't we? Woo, yeah, this is what worship is, and this isn't worship, and this, oh yeah, whoa, I really feel it. You know, a lot of times what we call worship is just Dionysian technological shamanism. Sometimes what we need is a song that can cut straight to our heart, open up our heart and our mind and make us alive again. But often we wouldn't know what to do with that in church, so we just stick with the shamanism. It's It's not a criticism, it's actually an encouragement. There's nothing wrong with praising and getting excited But does our praise, is it sometimes, is it a manifestation of our doubt? Like, where is God? Sometimes, like, what about that that lost place, that place of pain that the poets write from? It's not dualism. It's not one is better than the other. It's that we lock into one. And we say that the other isn't needed. Jesus didn't call us in to dualism life. He called us into a whole life. Love's got a circle in it. Love's got a hole in it. Love's got circle, circle in it. Love's got journey in it. Love is committed to the creation. He's committed to us. And God's the initiator. Can I pray for you? Just raise your hands. And Jesus, thank you for artists and worshipers and followers of you. And may we may we find ourselves lost in the beauty of your scriptures over and over and over again to see how committed you are to the whole journey. To our lives. Thank you that you find us, Lord. And Lord, let us find ourselves.